So we're going to go ahead and go to 1 Corinthians today and take a look at, start in chapter 10, a letter from Paul to the Corinthians. Just a little bit of background on this scripture that we're looking at. This subject's been on my heart a lot lately about basically trusting God, persevering through God, and learning from the mistakes of others from the Old Testament and learning how not to fall away from the Lord. And when Pastor Rob asked me to share today and teach, this was the section of Scripture God put on my heart to share with everybody. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is a continuation of the ideas Paul had shared in chapters 8 and 9. And to fully understand why Paul shares what he shares, we do need a little bit of background on those two chapters. And for the sake of time this morning, I'm just going to go ahead and paraphrase those chapters. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul discusses how an idol is nothing in the world. And the Corinthians, one of the big things they did was they would eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. They would buy the meat from the idol pagan temples and eat it at a dis- they'd get it at a discount and they would eat it. And Paul basically was saying that it's not a big deal to eat it, but, however, he didn't want to cause someone new in the faith to stumble from the Lord, so he chose to not eat of the meat lest he cause his brothers to stumble. He didn't want to be a stumbling block for others in their walk with Christ, so he chose to take the high road. He chose not to partake. It was lawful for him to do such things because an idol is nothing. It doesn't mean anything but he didn't want to cause one of his brothers and sisters to stumble and be drawn away from the Lord. There were many in the church of Corinth who would buy and eat the meat that was sacrificed to idols. And there were many in the church who couldn't eat the meat because their conscience told them that it was wrong for them to do that. And that's why Paul did not want to basically burden their conscience. He didn't want them to feel that they were disobeying God because of their conviction not to eat of that meat. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul shared with the Corinthian church the importance of giving up their rights to God. As Christians, Paul chose to give up his rights because he wanted to finish his race well. He was more concerned about serving God than having his personal rights, his personal Just because things were lawful for him to do, not all things are edifying to the Lord. And he didn't want to be a stumbling block to another person to draw them and disqualify someone from running the race for the Lord. He didn't want anyone to fall away from God. He didn't want to be the reason why someone walked away from God. So he chose not to do certain things in order not to be a stumbling block to them. Paul cared about the spiritual walk of his brethren. And we should have the same heart towards one another, be be mindful of other people's walks with God, and be willing to say, you know what, yes, I can go out and do that, but it's not edifying, and if someone saw me doing that, it might cause them to stumble and walk away from God, and we don't want that. We want to be building one another up, not tearing each other down in our actions and how we conduct ourselves. And this leads us into chapter 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, 
all pass through the sea. As Paul shared in chapters 8 and 9 to finish the race well, we need to remember that there are the dangers of not finishing the race and to be disqualified from the race towards heaven. Paul starts in verse 1 to give the Corinthians examples of different ways that the Israelites were disqualified, how they lived their lives, how they disqualified themselves from the work of God. Paul shares some of the stories of the Old Testament with the Corinthians on how God dealt with the Israelites when they fell into sin, when they disobeyed God. And in verse 1, it's a reminder to the Corinthians that all the Israelites that left Egypt passed through the Red Sea. They left Egypt, they passed through the Red Sea, and then they were led by God with a pillar of fire at night and a cloud over them in the daytime to protect them from the sun of the desert. They were under God's protection in the desert. When God moved his cloud he put over them, they followed his guidance through the wilderness. The cloud in that day was a constant reminder of God's presence in the wilderness. We, we have that same reminder today. We have the Holy Spirit in us reminding us of God's presence in our lives. We don't need the cloud over us to see that God's with us. We have the Holy Spirit testifying inside us, sharing with us the things of God, convicting us when we sin, showing us what he wants us to do, how to live our lives, how to conduct ourselves. In verse 2, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Again, the entire tribe of Israel passed through the Red Sea. They saw the power of God holding the sea back as the sea parted for them to walk through. They saw God close the sea and drown the Egyptians that gave chase to them afterwards. The passing through the sea is a picture of baptism by passing through the water. And they were baptized under Moses. Moses was their leader at the time. It's a demonstration of baptism when we get baptized in Christ. They were baptized under the leader Moses. We're baptized when we go into the water. We're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And we're shown that we... Uh, part of Christ's. In verse 3, all ate of the spiritual, the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. In the 40 years that the Israelites were in the wilderness, God provided for them. He provided all their needs for them. He provided food from heaven called manna. He provided water for them to drink. They had all their needs met by God. God met all their physical needs. He allowed their clothing not to fail on them, to hold up. God watched over his children while they were in the wilderness. However, they weren't content with what they had. They wanted more than the provisions God gave them. 
God gave them what they needed. He gave them food. He gave them shelter. He gave them clothing. But they wanted more. They murmured and they complained against God and against Moses as well, their leader. Instead of being content, they kept murmuring and complaining for the things that they wished they had. We want meat. We want food. We want this. We want that. In the end, all of them were destroyed but two of the adults in the wilderness. The only two that made it into the promised land were Joshua and Caleb. They were two of the 12 spies that were sent out to scout the promised land out before before Israel went in. And they're the only two that came back saying that we can defeat the enemies in the land. We can, we can conquer. We can overcome. We can beat the Canaanites that have taken over our land. The other ten people gave a report stating, the cities are big and the walls are high. And the people are like giants and we are like grasshoppers in their sight. They were huge people. We weren't able to do it. We can't take it. Since the Israelites took the size of the doubtful spies, God sent the Israelites wandering in the wilderness until they all died off. They were punished for this disobedience to God. They didn't believe that God could set them, give them victory over the sin, over the Canaanites. And the reason why Paul shared this with the Corinthians because the Corinthians were acting like the Israelites. They weren't content with the things God gave them. They wanted more. They wanted that meat sacrificed to idols. They didn't care if they stumbled their brothers. All they cared about was feeding their flesh. And it's a warning for us today, along with the Corinthians, just because God does give us blessings, God does take care of us, it doesn't give us the right to think that we deserve more than what he's already given us. Oftentimes, we always think that we deserve more than what he's given us. God gives us a promise in Matthew 6 that he'll take care of our basic needs, food, clothing, and shelter, as we trust him, as we obey him, as we press forward to him. Unfortunately, though, in many Christian circles, Christians are being taught that if you're not healthy, wealthy, and wise, you're not really following God. That's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Because to follow Christ, there will be trials. There will be temptations. There will be issues. It will not be all roses and ponies and sparkles. Romans tells us in eight verse, chapter 8, verse 28, We know all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Even the things that... Are bad, even the things we don't like, even the things that hurt us, I use for God's glory. Whether we, we might not want to go through those storms, we might not want to go through those seasons, but God's going to use those things in our lives. It's completely against what the, the health, wealth, and prosperity teachers want, to, want us to think. We don't deserve anything more from God. We don't deserve deserve his grace and his mercy yet he gives it to us and God does give us the strength to make it through any trial that we may face no matter what we face but let us not be ungrateful for what God's done for us let us not be like the Corinthians or the Israelites and murmur and complain and not be well pleased we want to be pleasing in God's eyes 
I know I struggle with this at times myself. I struggle with being content with all that God's given me. And I can say that the more that I press into the Lord, the more that I seek God, the more that he shows me things. There are things, many things that he's dealt with me over the years with in my life that I haven't been content with. It's a work in progress. It's a day by day. And as we seek him, as we press forward towards him, he will help us. He will remove those things out of our hearts. He will help us to have that pure and undefiled heart that he's called us to have. In verse 6, Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after the evil things that they also lusted. Paul shared this with the Corinthians to teach them how to learn from the example of the Israelites. We have that same example today to learn from because it is recorded for us in Scripture. The Bible records many different ways the Israelites fell into sin and disobeyed God through their walk in the wilderness. The first thing they did when they were falling away from God is they looked backwards. They looked back into Egypt. They saw the garlic. They saw the leeks. They saw all the good things Egypt had to offer them. They lusted for those things that they could not have in the wilderness. They got tired of the manna. They wanted to go back to their old lifestyle. They weren't content with what God had given them at this point. The Corinthian church at that time lusted as well. They lusted and went after that sacrificed meat that was sacrificed to idols, and they could care less of what other people thought. They wanted to do their thing. They caused their brothers and sisters to stumble in their conscience. The Israelites forgot the pain, the suffering, the torture, the bondage that they were under in Egypt. They forgot what it meant to be a slave to the Egyptians. All they could think about was the good things that they had back, back then. They, couldn't, they didn't care about the bad things. They forgot about the things that they had to go through to have those things. Unfortunately, we do the same thing in our walk with Christ. After we come to Christ, after we accept Jesus as Savior, as we walk with him, there are times we can look back at our old lives and say, we want, we want the things that we had back then. We want the good things we remember from back then. We want this. We want that. But we forgot. We forgot the pain it caused us, the torture, the unhappiness, the discontent. I pray, Lord, that we don't forget the past. We don't forget the bad with the good. I pray we wouldn't long back at our own Egypts and want to go back to it. I pray that we would persevere and press forward towards the Lord. May we not want to go back to our personal Egypts. May we want to pursue the promised land in our lives, what God has for us. We all have to go through a wilderness. It depends on... Honestly, how long God wants to keep us in the wilderness before he brings us into our promised land. Some of us, it could be years. Some of us, it could be decades. It all depends on what we, how we learn from the Lord. In verse 7, And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Back in Exodus chapter 32, it is recorded for us what happened when Moses went 
up Mount Sinai to spend time with God. Aaron, was, his brother, was left in charge of the Israelites. Moses hadn't come back, and day after day, the Israelites got anxious. They ended up setting idols before God instead of God. Aaron went out and built a golden calf with all the gold that they got from Egypt. And then he told the Israelites, that calf that was built is what brought us from Egypt, not God, not my brother Moses. But he told a th- put a thing above God, saying that thing was higher than God. This displeased God because they forgot and they took their eyes off from God and they put their eyes on a created thing, a created being. They forgot that God was the one that set them free from their yoke of bondage to the point where they were dancing and making merry around that calf and praising the calf instead of praising God. And God is always displeased when we worship anything that's not him. And in that instance, he had 3,000 killed by the sword because they worshiped the calf instead of worshiping him. God's not afraid to send judgment for worship of false gods and false idols. In verse 8, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. This story here comes from Numbers 25, where the Israelites were tempted and fell into sexual immorality with the Moabites. God destroyed many people because they committed sexual immorality against God. In Numbers 25, it is reported that 24,000 died. However, Paul records here 23,000 died in one day. There are different schools of thought on this. When I was researching this, I was like, why 24,000? What's going on here? Is there an error? Is there an issue? There are three thoughts. The first thought is that the copyist, the person copying the Bible, or Paul, they just made a mistake carrying the figures. I don't believe that, though. Because if you're saying that there was a mistake made in the figures, it can open the door of Pandora's box of what else is mistaken in the Bible. That's not true. It can't be. Because if that's a mistake, then it really opens that door that other, peop- other mistakes are in the Bible, and this is the Word of God. The second view is that this is not talking about the incident in Numbers 25, but the golden calf incident we just talked about in 32, in Exodus 32. I don't agree with that thought process either because in verse 8, it spells out, nor let us commit sexual immorality. The incident with the golden calf was spiritual immorality against God, not sexual. We're told in Exodus 32 that 3,000 died, not 23,000. So, what, what's the difference? The final viewpoint, and this is the one I agree, I follow along with as well, is that Paul was right when he said in one day 23,000 died. However, others died on a different day. I know that the leaders were taken and hung in the sun. It's set, spelled out in Numbers 25 that they were taken and hung. But on the main day of judgment spoken of by Paul here, 23,000 died in one day. The other 1,000 were leaders killed on a different day by God. 
Paul gives us the stats for the one day, no matter which one you believe, it doesn't change the fact that God killed 23,000 people in a day for their sexual immorality. It also shows that God does not take sin lightly. The judgment of sin is death. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of the God. And in Romans 3.10, the wages of sin is death. We are all sinners and we all need a savior. In verse 9, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them were also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Another story of the Israelites going against God, being tempting the Lord. This story comes from Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. They were in the wilderness journeying, and they started complaining against God and Moses. Their complaint this time, they were saying they were led out into the wilderness to be killed, to die. God, in his righteous anger, sent out fiery serpents among the people and killed many of the people until they repented of their sins. They cried out to God and asked God to forgive them for doubting him, for doubting Moses, and to forgive them. God, being a merciful God, he provided salvation for his people in the wilderness. He ordered Moses in Numbers 21 to build a fiery serpent and place it on a pole. And anyone who looked upon this serpent Moses created would live. God would heal them of the snake bites that they'd received. Doesn't that picture remind you of another, another thing being lifted up on a, on a pole? It's a reminder, it's a picture for us of Christ being risen up on the cross. When we look upon Christ, he forgives us and he allows us to live, with, to live when we look upon him. We cast our eyes upon the cross where he hung, where he died for us. In verse 10, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. This was probably the most common complaint of the Israelites, murmuring against God and against Moses, the one that God placed in the leadership over them. They murmured when things didn't go their way, when they didn't like what was going on, when they didn't have what they thought they should have. God dealt out destruction against the Israelites whenever they murmured against God. Numbers 11, for example, the people murmured against Moses and God because they wanted meat. They were sick of manna. They were sick of eating that stale manna. All It wasn't stale. It was provided fresh by God daily. But in their eyes, it was stale. Like, manna, manna, manna. That's all we get. We want meat. We want quail. God gave them what they wanted. He gave them meat. He gave them so much meat, it was flowing out of their nostrils. And many died because of the meat that they got. God struck down many of them because of the fact that they murmured against him. And I believe that the Corinthians had to be doing this against Paul, murmuring against him because he was God's appointed over the church. He was the one in charge of the spiritual side of the church. And they were murmuring against Paul and against Christ. Instead of Instead, they wanted to indulge themselves on their own desires instead of obeying what God had for them. We read, when, when you read the story of the Israelites, you can see multiple times where they 
murmured and complained against God and against Moses. I don't know about you, but reading the stories, if I was God, I don't think I would have had the patience that God had for them. But I'm thankful God has that kind of patience with me. And I know that if it wasn't for God's patience, I wouldn't be standing up here today and for his love and for his mercy. And I thank God for that. I thank God for his patience and for his mercy. And that he does provide for us. He does want to run up to us. He wants to pour out his love and mercy and compassion on us when we seek him and ask him to forgive us. In verse 11, now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. The reason why Paul shared these examples to the Corinthian church It's because it's how God deals with sin. Without Christ, God will kill. Because that's what we deserve. We deserve to die for our sins. The Corinthians at that time, they thought they were on God's good side. They thought, we have forgiveness. We have God's grace. We can live it up. We can do whatever we want. But that's not how God operates. They didn't realize that they were in danger of being destroyed like the Israelites were. Just because God's a merciful God doesn't mean that he's going to let us live in sin forever. It's why God gives us this warning in 1 Corinthians 10. He wants us to know about the different events that happened in the wilderness. God used Paul to share this with the church in Corinth of what will happen if they continue on the path that they were walking on. And we can learn from this as well today and see what happens when we walk down the same path, what will happen to us. But God wants to redeem us. He wants us to not go to that extreme. He wants us to turn from that path before it's too late. In verse 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands heed lest he fall. This is a warning from Paul. We can't stand strong without Christ. We can't stand on our own. We can't will ourselves into overcoming anything. We need to take the focus off ourselves and our needs, and we need to place our focus upon Christ. When we think we have it all together, or we think we can do it in our own strength, remember this. God does not promise that he would keep us from falling. We've seen here today others that have fallen into sin. We can fall, we can become disqualified for God's plan if we don't keep our eyes upon God. Without Christ, we're nothing. Our strength needs to come from God and God alone. We can't will ourselves into overcoming sin, overcoming temptation, overcoming anything. We need to trust God We need to let God guide us and provide for us and help us. And I pray, Lord, this is my prayer for myself, and I pray it be yours as well, that we never become too prideful to receive God's loving correction in our lives and to allow God to put us back on the path towards him. 
because so often we think we can fix ourselves or we can fix somebody else. We can't fix anything. We can point people to Scripture. We can share with them the Word of God, but only God can truly change someone's heart. Only God can reach those parts of the heart that no one can touch. We're actually now coming up to one of my favorite sections of Scripture in the entire Bible. The next two verses are some of my favorite verses. Starting in verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. God knows that we are tempted in many different areas in our lives. He understands our temptations. Jesus when he was on this earth as a man, he faced every temptation we face. Yet he did not sin. He did not give in to those temptations he faced. Notice that this verse does not say that we're tempted by God when we face these temptations. God doesn't tempt us into sin. The enemy is the one that's tempting us to fall away from God, to choose the ways of the world instead of the ways of God. Temptation starts in our mind. We think about it. We dwell on it. We let it roll in our mind. The battle starts in the head. And then it's carried out by the body if we don't deal with that battle in our minds. I know many times in my life, I would, I'd sit and I'd dwell on something. And so instead of shutting it down, saying, I shouldn't be thinking about that, I'd let it think. Next thing I know, I would act on it. And it's displeasing to God when we commit sin. But by God's grace, we are forgiven from it when we ask him to forgive us. And God does give us a way to deal with the temptations that we face. It's a simple prescription. He gives us that promise that he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can handle. Oftentimes, we feel like we're being tempted to do something beyond what we can handle. And... God understands. He understands. Let's just go ahead and do it. He understands I can't handle this. That's not the heart we should have. It's a lie from Satan himself because Satan wants to keep us in that yoke of bondage. Whatever that temptation may be, I don't know what it is. I know what it is for me. I don't know what it is for you guys, but I pray that you take those thoughts captive and dismiss them before before you act on them. Because we will stay in bondage to that sin if we don't act, if we don't take it captive and we don't shut it down before we beforehand. The battle is won in our minds and lost in our minds. The physical actions are just the manifestation of what our minds are playing out. And God does give us an answer to overcome any temptation we face. In the second part of verse 13, Paul tells us that, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God is faithful. God is very faithful. Even though Satan is out there trying to tempt us, do his best to tempt us into sinning, to displeasing God, God is still faithful. God always keeps his word. When he says he will provide a way of escape for us, for our sins, he will do that. 
he will provide that way of escape. The way of escape is not being brought to a place where you're not tempted anymore. The only time that will ever happen is when we're with the Lord. Until we leave this vessel and go be with the Lord, we're always going to be tempted by something, the sin in different ways. And it changes over time, depending on, depending on where we're at. Something that didn't tempt you 10 years ago might tempt you now. Something that tempted you 10 years ago might not tempt you now. No matter what that temptation is, God gives that way of escape. And that's why I love this verse so much. Because God understands. He understands when, we're, when we fall short. He understands that we're tempted. He is faithful. He does give us a way to escape it. He does help us to press forward towards him. We have to make that choice, though, to choose we have to choose to say, Lord, help me through this. It's rough. I don't know what, what to do. Please give me strength. Please help me. In verse 14, God gives us a way to escape temptation. And oftentimes, I know many people who know 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It's one of the verses that they learned when they first became a Christian. But verse 14 to me goes hand in hand with verse 13. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Paul makes it very clear. Run, flee, get away from it. In the Corinthian church, the idol was going to the pagan temple and dining where the sacrificed meat was at. In today's world, idolatry is anything we set in our lives that comes before God. Oftentimes when you hear the word idol, what do you think of? You think of this little carved image that you set up and that you bow before. That's not an idol. That's only one type of an idol, I should say. But we all have many different idols in our lives. Some examples of what an idol can be it could be automobiles, it could be phones, computers, people, football, drugs, alcohol, anything that you place above God. If it's placed before God, it is an idol. God wants us to flee from worshiping anything before God. If it's a physical temptation you face, get out of that area of temptation. If it's a mental temptation, Dive into the Word of God and allow the Word of God to wash you from that temptation. If it's a spiritual temptation, cry out to God and ask Him to help. If there's an idol in your life that you spend more time with than God and it's causing you to fall away from spending time with God, just get rid of it. Don't ask questions. Don't try to justify having it in your life. Because God doesn't want to be anything but first in our hearts in our lives. I know today, I know this is always a hard scripture because it's a challenging section of scripture. It examines us. It causes us to examine ourselves, examine where we're at with the Lord. I know for me, putting this together, God convicted me on a lot of things in my life. But by God's grace, he gives us the examples from the Israelites of their disobedience and how to overcome. We can benefit from this today as God wants us to take anything that's before him 
and cast it aside. He doesn't want us to worship anything other than God. I know for me, I find myself in these positions often. I'm not any better than anyone else. It's only by God's grace and his mercy I am who I am. God is in control of everything. And it's okay to ask for help when we're being tempted by Satan. It's okay to say, hey, pray for me. I'm having a rough day. This is what's going on. Please, I need help. It's okay to ask for help. God will give us the strength to overcome if we choose to be overcome. Let God overcome us. Let God overcome that temptation we may face. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the examples you have shared with us today concerning the Israelites and the path that they walked in disobedience. And I thank you, Lord, for that. I thank you that we can learn how to avoid going down those paths by following you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I know this is always a hard message, Lord, because it requires us to examine our hearts and see those idols that we may be placing before you, Lord. And if there's anything in our hearts, Lord, that we're placing before you, I pray, Lord, that we would cut it out and remove it from our hearts. And Lord, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for sending your son to die for us. I thank you for Jesus to die, dying for our sins, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you help us, Lord, to grow closer to you, step by step, day by day. And Lord, I pray for this day, Lord, And I pray, Lord, that you just use these words today to help us to grow closer to you. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you for everything you've done for us. In your precious name, amen.